Computer, initialize Holosuite. And welcome to another episode of The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. I am one of your hosts, Perry. And I'm your host, David. Today we're talking about Season 4, Episode 3, The Visitor. Before we continue, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube as The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. That's right, and as I say every single week, you should find us and follow us because we are awesome. And if you have been following along, you know that we have a contest going on right now where you could win yourself a free, completely free, Fire Caves mug. So you need to listen to our previous show in order to find out how to enter and win. Okay, so go ahead and do that. And yes, as David said, this is Season 4, Episode 3, because the last episode that we did covered Episodes 1 and 2, because it was a massive two-parter for Deep Space Nine. So, we're going to jump right into it, uh, of course, with this one, The the Visitor. Great episode. Kind of a different pace that we get, considering the the high-octane start we had to the first season, or to the fourth season. And, um, you know, but still a very, very... Interesting, poignant episode that we get here, um, back featuring prominently our our favorite space family, the Cisco's, of course. Um, <laughs> so now I gave yeah. the recap for last week. So do you want to do this week? I'm I'm happy to. I I okay. I'll do it. I'll do it because yes, last week was a big one, and I I'll yeah. do it. Okay. Yeah. Short, uh, sweet. Let's so, get yes. it done. Yes. All right. So, guys, this episode, The Visitor, uh, is one that's focused primarily on Jake Sisko. Uh, we start initially in the far future with, it turns out, an elderly Jake Sisko uh, being visited by a young woman named Melanie who comes to meet her uh, kind of idol. He had been a writer all his life, or, sorry, we'll get into details, but he was a writer, and she comes to find out more about him and learn about why he stopped writing. He only uh, wrote basically two things and stopped about halfway through his life. And she, she's coming to find out why. And Jake says, you know what, uh, I will tell you the reason that uh, I haven't written as much as you might expect. Uh, it turns out there's a story behind his life, life's work. And we go to the past, and it's revealed by Jake that when he was 18... Uh, so right after the last episode, uh, his dad, Benjamin Sisko, took him on the Defiant to go visit the wormhole for a, a once every 15 year event, uh, sorry, 50 year event where the uh, wormhole inverts. So it's a once in a 50 year uh, event where something at the wormhole uh, happens. Not a lot of details given necessarily, but um, me, you know, Jake doesn't want to go because he's working on his writing. Uh, but basically Ben, you know, kind of drags him along. Well, during this inversion, the Defiant is affected uh, by it, and it causes the warp drive to malfunction. Um, so while Benjamin is in, um, in, in the warp core area trying to fix it, uh, Ben, I'm sorry, uh, Jake uh, goes in there to try and help him, and Benjamin is hit by some, something, some bolt of energy hits him, and it causes him to disappear. 
he disappears for a long time. Uh, he is gone. As far as anyone can determine, he has died. He has ceased to exist. So the, the crew mourns Benjamin Sisko. And six months later, um, while in his quarters, Jake sees his father suddenly appear. Uh, just out of nowhere, and then disappear all, all over again. And so young Jake, who uh, is trying to figure out what to do with his life, uh, you know, traumatized by the death of his father, is suddenly seeing sees a vision of his dad. And then again, another six months later, a year after the event happens, his dad reappears, this time for long enough for the others on the station, like Dax and, Benj and uh, uh, um, O'Brien, and uh, Bashir to see and try and fix this problem. He's they determine he must be like warping through subspace. Something about subspace uh, is affecting him. Uh, but he disappears again, and so young Jake Sisko uh, is traumatized very much by this event. Um, not only has he lost his mother a few years ago, uh, but now he's lost his dad. He uh, eventually goes back to Earth and uh, follows up on his writing career. Uh, he actually becomes a successful writer and gets married uh, and is starting to live life uh, and, and being successful even. But once again, as a uh, an adult, his father reappears to him in the middle of his home. Uh, and he starts relating to his dad once more. And again, he's traumatized by this event. You know, his dad is is real and is alive and is, is, is appearing before him. Um, but once again, disappears. And so Jake turns away from his writing career as a middle-aged man and kind of abandons his marriage to try and study subspace mechanics. And 50 years after the initial event, uh, goes back with Dax and, um, and uh, Julian uh, to the site of you know, the wormhole to recreate the uh, event that caused uh, Ben to disappear. He is able to kind of bring Benjamin back briefly, but instead of Benjamin being brought back, it actually causes him to go into whatever subspace area uh, his dad is trapped in. And so while they're down there, they talk, but, you know, he's just trying to get his dad back. And Benjamin is all like, well, what happened with your life? I want to make sure, you know, you live your life, that you don't constantly, you weren't worrying about me, you were being successful, how's your marriage? And unfortunately, Jake has kind of given up all of that uh, in order to reclaim his father. But unfortunately, this experiment fails. He's able to himself be brought back by Dax and Bashir, but um, Benjamin Sisko is still trapped in this subspace area. And for the record, he is not experiencing time. He is like, as far as he's concerned, the the, the accident just happened. So Benjamin Sisko is not negatively affected by this event other than him just being absent for massive amounts of time. Well, so again, he's Jake, the older version of himself, has been, has been telling this story to the young woman, uh, Melanie, and uh, he gets to the end of his story by saying that he did eventually try to go back to his writing career. Uh, he has written a number of short stories. He gives those short stories to Melanie so that she can start her own writing career and then sends her on her way. Uh, and says that tonight is his last night to live. Uh, after Melanie is left, eventually uh, Benjamin does reappear one more time, and Jake tells him through tears that he realized that the only way for uh, Benjamin to 
have his subspace time situation corrected was for Jake to die. It turns out that Jake being in the same room as Cisco when this event happened somehow tethered them and uh, only he can really basically bring Benjamin back. But in order for him to sever the whole time sink problem, he has to die uh, while Cisco Benjamin is with him. So he had already taken a lethal dose um, from a, um, what is the, the hypo spray? And uh, is, he basically dies in Benjamin's arms. So the old elderly Jake Sisko dies in his father's arms, which allows him to reset his timeline. He goes back in time to right before the accident and is able to successfully avoid whatever bolts of energy that caused him the, uh, the, the, the time traveling in the first place. And he's able to save the young Jake Sisko as well. And um, Jake asks what happened. You know, the young Jake who doesn't is not going to be the one to grow up into that kind of sad future as we saw. Uh, and Benjamin just says, um, you know, I guess we just got lucky this time. Um, so very poignant episode, very sad episode, but also kind of a beautiful episode in some ways. Uh, a lot of a lot of great things to talk about here. Absolutely. Yeah. Did I did I hit it all up? Anything you gotta? Yes, you did. There? Yes, you did. You got all the high points, and again, we're gonna get into a lot of these things too. And if you want to actually go and watch the episode, which by the way is ranked among fans as one of the best, cannot skip, must watch episodes of Do Space Nine in the entire um, catalog. There. So mm-hmm. if you want to go and watch it, you you can and you should. Right. You should absolutely go watch this episode, even if you're not necessarily a diehard fan yet of Deep Space Nine, I would seriously recommend watching this episode because it's not so heavily focused on the overarching story of Deep Space Nine for you to really appreciate this story, I feel, uh-huh. anyway. Yeah. So, so yeah, we have um, a lot to talk about here, and one of the things that I, um, of course, want to focus on is the relationship of the Cisco's. I mean, we're going to be talking about that a lot throughout this whole episode, but I just want to kick that off because once again, the, the focus and the care of Avery Brooks and Sirach Lofton to make this relationship really, um, really work and, Mm -hmm. and seem, you know, special and significant is, is Mm -hmm. on display here. 100 yeah. percent and they they do such a great job even though Sirach Lofton is not really in a lot of this episode and he's replaced by you know um uh, Tony, T- Todd. Tony Todd yes. who is you know we know him already from Star Trek because he's played Worf's brother Kern um uh on on Next Generation ah, uh, okay. you know so uh yeah so he was he was Kern now he is Elder Jake and we see him here and uh but still I mean like especially Avery Brooks, he didn't miss a beat. Like it wasn't a struggle for him to connect with uh, Tony Todd's version of uh, Jake Sisko and to watch that progression of the father in a sense, well, not even in a sense, but really being surpassed by his son because his son eventually becomes older than him. And now he's watched his, his child age. And then he, you know, at the end of the episode, he watches his child die. And so he has this very unique perspective on what his son can become when he is snapped back to 18-year-old Jake. What a very unique um, perspective for a parent to have and to see how profoundly touched he was by it at the end. Um, 
yeah, I, I just I loved every bit of it, like all the way through. Yeah. I thought it was just great. They all did yeah. such a great job here. Yeah, uh, the the most standout part of this episode, and it's Tony Todd as older Jake Sisko was absolutely perfect. I fully believe that this was a realistic uh, take on an older Jake. Uh, yeah, older Jake. Um, it, it's it's. Uh, I'd be curious to to hear from Tony Todd. I don't know if, if uh, you know you Perry would know like. Basically, because we have Sirach Lofton playing the character already, Tony Todd has something to reference his own version of the character off of. True. I'm wondering how much that happened, or if it's just that Tony Todd's a good actor, he played the part well. So Any from, insight there? So from my understanding, it's kind of a little of, of both, and then there's a, an extra element there, which I'll tell you right now. So the first thing is they did try to age up uh, Sirach Lofton to play um, his older self, but it was just, it, it became exceedingly difficult. The more he was supposed to age, the more difficult it became basically, right. which is understandable. I mean, Sirach Lofton was legitimately 18 years old and, you know, he was trying to play a 60, 40, 50, 60 year old, ultimately 80 and even a hundred year old man mm-hmm. in this, right. in this scenario. And it just wasn't, um, uh, wasn't feasible, wasn't possible. Right. Right. And so uh, when Tony Todd was selected uh, to play the role, he did, you know, talk with Ciroc and, and Avery, of course, and, you know, got to work with him a bit. And so I'm sure that that really helped him out to kind of get into um, the character. Plus, right. let's not forget that Tony Todd is a great actor. He's been a fantastic character actor in a lot of different things over the years, um, lending himself not just to Star Trek, but a, a lot of different um, shows and films over the years. And then um, probably the most significant is that um, just a few months prior to this, the filming of this episode, Tony Todd's aunt had died. Now, she Mm. was the woman who had raised him. And um, so he was going through that kind of also parental grief mourning himself. And uh, he said that this, it really helped him to connect with the loss that Jake was going through and kind of worked through it himself because he said that he had been very much the way that Jake was when, when we saw him early on in the episode. You know, everybody else was starting to move on with their life and get back to the routine of, of living and doing things. And he was still kind of stuck in this weird, you know, malaise, not really sure what he wanted to do, didn't really have any yeah. plans he was committed to, all that. You know, Tony Todd says that that's really how he felt about things. And he felt like this was kind of his way of getting out of that and returning to work and returning to life you know so he put a lot of that into this episode into into filming here and it it worked i mean again i i thought he did a great job as well in those scenes where he was you know struggling with um with losing uh ben again when they had him on the defiant you know and they'd broken the defiant out of mothballs as he said and they'd gone back to the wormhole and this was their Last shot, because this was the second time for the inversion. Because remember, when the episode starts, that was the that was the inversion they were watching then. It doesn't happen except once every 50 years. So right. now we flash forward another 50 years. So we know that Jake is at least, 68. what, 68 yep. then? Yep. And that was his last chance, you know, until, you know, the end, of course. Right. So, yeah, I mean, that was his last chance to save his father, and he failed. And that loss all over again, and now and it was it was a permanent loss. This was uh, 
unless they figured out something else, there was never going to be another chance for him to get him back again. So he right. had to go through that all over again. And I think he did a excellent job, excellent job portraying it. And uh, yeah. again, this is why the Cisco family to me just they're just so great. Like we we don't really see a lot of families in Star Trek, and then right. to see one that is so um, primarily highlighted. It's such a strong emotional connection. I, I just think it's great. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, this episode really focuses on that. I mean, obviously, on that parental relationship. And as we've said multiple times, that Avery Brooks as Ben Sisko knocks these types of scenes out of the park. Um, yes. And Sirach Lofton is perfectly cast as his son. Um, yeah. You really believe it. Um you know, it's funny, this episode starts off with, uh, well, at least uh, when the flashback begins, Jake is trying to work on a short, st- or on, on a story, and he's having trouble with it, he's, he's, um, really focused on editing it, like, you know, his dad is like, hey, I want you to come see this really cool thing at the wormhole, and he's like, ah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing my thing here, and part of me is like, Ben, I love you, bro, but, you know, your son's not into this moment, he's got something else he's focused on. Let I'm. It's sad that he's not into this moment like you are, but let him alone. I mean, it, it, like of all the critiques you could give Ben Cisco, wanting to your son to enjoy the things you enjoy is low on the list of parental complaints. I'm sure you can have about a guy. So, um, but just I, I, I absolutely loved the way Ben always responded every time he came back and saw his son older. Um, he never responded with tears and. Oh, I, I can't believe I lost all this time. He's always happy to see his son. Oh, you're married. I want grandkids. You know, you're you're a successful writer. Uh, when his son is, you know, old and dying and, you know, he's asleep and Ben wakes up or uh, sees him asleep and, like, just has his hand on his chin and just looks at him and then gently wakes him up. Like, this is a man who loves his son. And it's yeah. so clear and so just pure and wonderful and uplifting and heartwarming that i i mean it's it's just great no wonder people love this episode yeah. I've, I've seen here that and as you said it's a it's one of those uh, highly rated ones yeah i mean it's star trek classic you got time travel you got the defiant you got wormholes you got all kinds of stars or sci-fi stuff in there but the heart of it is this father-son relationship uh and it tears at your heart like the idea that jake cisco we know him we know he's kind of kind of lost not in the sense that he like doesn't know himself but just you know he's kind of in a weird place in life on this space station but you know he goes he's a successful writer he's married and it's like the worst thing that could have happened to him is that his dad's showing up because it 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 just tears him up he loves his dad just as much as his dad loves him and he wants to rescue his dad and and is successful ultimately but in the process of that he loses parts of himself he loses his marriage he loses his writing career and you just feel torn over it you're like jake it's like you want him to go on and have a full life but you know that he couldn't just give up his dad you know he has to try and do something i think it's a you're 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 absolutely right but i think that the reason that it works to tear him down the way that it does is because Ben didn't die. He's still alive. He's still out there. It's a different kind of loss, you know. Like he says, you know, if if when when people die, 
we learn to accept the loss and we learn to move on and get on with the business of living. That's, that's how it works. You know, right. we mourn the dead. We remember the dead, but they become less and less impactful in our lives. As time goes on, that loss becomes less and less impactful as our lives continue. But in this sense, you know, Ben was trapped. He was stuck. He wasn't aging. He wasn't experiencing time. He was experiencing life. And then he would just right. show up and it wasn't like it was a, a memory that just popped into Jake's head every so often. Right. It was his full-on flesh and blood, still in his prime father. So while yeah. he is constantly aging and changing, he then has these this this golem, basically, thrown back in his face as yeah. a reminder of everything that he's lost. Like it, it would be different if he had images of his father aging and had has his his life continued and changed and progressed and whatever else and had those kind of mementos but he didn't have any of that he just had this singular moment that they were literally attached to each other by so i think that's why it always stood to mess him up more when whenever he would show up because he was instantly back to being that 18 year old kid again instantly back i mean his dad he still had dirt on his uniform from from the initial, you know, incident, you know, right. nothing changed. So right. I think that's why it always just kind of really gutted him every time. And you're, you know, that's why I also loved Ben here because you're, you know, he showed up, like you said, he was always happy to see his his son. He was always right. encouraging. And yeah. that is one thing about the Cisco relationship that I have loved since day one. Uh, ben always makes time for his son. He never puts him down. He never discourages him from doing what he really wants to do. He may try to help him see other sides to things and look at things with different perspectives and so forth, but he never, ever makes it about, I want you to do this over that because I said so, um, following my footsteps because I demand it. None of that. He is not an authoritative uh, father. He is very supportive, very open with his son, very caring. And obviously that carries out all the way until the the day his son dies. Yeah. It's, it's a great moment. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's really just epitomized by he is more torn up. Jake's, uh, sorry, Ben Sisko is more torn up at the end of this episode by the idea that his son would commit suicide to save him than he is by the fact that he lost time with his son, like in terms of this, this this weird time frame thing. When he shows up, as I just said, and sees that he's married and a successful writer, it's like he was just, you know, he was gone and he came home one day and it, oh, his son has, has come home with a with a wife and some, you know, it's like Ben Cisco didn't lament the lost past. He was like, I'm here now and I'm enjoying the now and I'm going to be here fully for the now. And again, he's more torn up at the end by by Jake having kind of sacrificed all of that for him. He's like, I mean, yeah. it really, ultimately, if we yeah. could have sat Ben Cisco and said, sat him down and said, okay, you have a choice. Either your son's, you know, sacrifices his entire life to save you. You know, his his hundred year lifespan. He sacrifices at least half of that in an attempt to save your life, or he forgets all about you. And you have to live some hellish existence in subspace. Which would you choose? We all know exactly which one he would choose. He'd say, subspace, hell, for all the time. Like, I love my son. I want him to have a full, engaging life. I don't want him to be filled with regret over me and lose out on a, on a full life to try and save me. I'd, I'd rather suffer myself than him suffer. And 
at no point have we ever doubted that, but this episode just the, puts that really, cherry yes. on top. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really drives it home. Um, yeah, and you know, he's, yeah, every time that we ever see Ben upset in this episode, it's because he found that Jake had done something to deviate from the life that he knew that he loved. Like, he was upset that Jake had stopped writing. He yes. was upset that Jake had allowed his his marriage to end. Right. He was upset that Jake committed suicide, basically. Yes. Like, all of those are the things. It was never about career choice or anything like that. It was always, I, in the moments that I got to see you, you were most happy doing these things. Why would right. you stop doing that? Why would, why would you ever think I want you to give up right. doing the things that make you happy? Um, great parent. I mean, yes. I just think that that's great parenting. I, I mean, I would hope that when my time comes, that that is what my child says about me when it's right. over with. That I never tried to force her to do anything. I was always supportive of what she wanted and guided her that way, supported her in the decisions that she right. wanted to make versus you know, any of that, you will study this because I said so. No. Right. Yeah. We'll, yeah, exactly. we'll be doing that. We'll be doing that. Right. Um, remind me what, um, so the second time that Ben appears, he's in, in Bashir's medical area. In the infirmary. There we go. Um, and he says something to Jake, you know, he's starting to warp out of existence again and he starts saying something to Jake, but I forget all the details of what that scene, what he was trying to say. So remind us. He, um, so this is the second time that Cisco has appeared and Jake was able to get people to, you know, help him. They've moved him into the infirmary. Uh, O'Brien, Bashir and Dax are there and they're trying to figure out what's going on with him and keep him in their time, time frame. Um, they erect a force field trying to get him to stay, but that's not going to work. In the meantime, Cisco and Jake are talking, and he tells Jake, first off, he's like, they'll have me fixed up in no time. Don't worry about it. We'll be all right. And then Jake, he asks Jake if, if Jake's okay. Jake starts to cry. He hugs his son, and he tells him, you know, again, it's going to be okay. Like, I need you to, I need you to be okay. That's what he says. I need you to be okay. Like, don't worry about me. I need you to be okay. And as he starts to, you know, dissipate, he starts to kind of yell that a little bit. Jake, you know, look at me. I need you to be okay. And then he disappears. Right. So even in that moment, this is the second time he's appeared for a son. And it was some eight months from when they lost him. And his sole focus was on like, yeah, you, you need to be okay. You need to right. um, move on here. So again, Always concerned with his kid. Yeah, no questions about, how's the station doing? I mean, maybe he asked those questions off screen, but it wasn't like, how's the station doing? How's the Klingon war going, you know? I mean, again, yeah. maybe those conversations happened off screen, but the focus we're seeing his, him having is on his son. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, so speaking of that, we're going to turn our attention away from the Cisco's web. We'll, we'll be, we will be back, of course. <laughs> so in this, we're also getting a, an altered universe. Right, so we get a little bit of an update, and we know that from our last episode, we got to remember that the Klingons kind of went on a war path, and they have annexed several um, areas of space that used to be controlled by the Cardassians. So now in this episode, we get a little bit of an update here, and we know that the Klingons have basically just kind of expanded their territory. Um, the Federation has pulled back a little bit. Bajor has signed a non-aggression pact with um, Cardassia and some other um, 
um, civilizations in order to form their own kind of uh, super pack against the Klingon Empire. That's not going too well. And we also find out that um, eventually uh, the station gets overrun. And it then becomes a part of the Klingon Empire. It gets neglected. And um, we know that it's kind of in a seen better days set um, when when the Defiant is finally broken out of Mob Boss, commanded by Captain Nog, who's now finally become captain. And he leads the mission back to Deep Space Nine and to the wormhole to try to save him. So it's it's an interesting back plot to the story that we're getting here. Because what we're seeing is how everything kind of fell apart once Ben Sisko departed. Without his influence as the emissary, Bajor kind of took this different approach to their relationship with Cardassia and to other areas. They obviously never joined the Federation, which was Ben's mission when he first uh, set foot on Deep Space Nine in the pilot. Right. He was put there to help, you know, bring them into the Federation fold. So obviously that plan failed. Um, we see that Kira has taken a more direct lead here, and she's, you know, her her look has changed a bit too. You know, gone are the big bulky shoulder pads in her uniform. She's kind of you know, slim things down a little bit. We get to see an older version of um, Dax and Bashir here yeah. grumbling at each other. And I don't, I don't know. Did I miss it? Are they married? I wondered that. I was going to ask you that. I think that they're not. I think the joke they were making to each other is just that we're old friends. And so we're sniping at each other as old friends. But we both have kids, like our own kids. But... I don't think it's impossible that they might actually be married. I'll have to check that out because I kind of I thought that there was like a little you know throwaway line in there about them being together or something, and I mean I thought that it would have been interesting considering you know how much he pursued her in the initial right. days of their knowing each other. You right. Know? Um, so Dax says something about like I. You, I, something about her kids and you annoy me, but it's not clear if she's saying like my kids, as in like a our kid situation, right? Or just my kids, right? Um, so yeah, I, I remember that line. She was talking to Julian about him always kind of pestering her with his latest paper or project from the kids and things like that. But yeah, I mean, I think right. she says your kids. That's it. Well, so, I think she says the kids or something like that from from your kids or from the kids. It's it's said in a way that it could be interpreted either way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what do you think? Do you think they should end up together? I mean, I know. I guess we, we know um, the future a little bit about what. I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I know, I know, I know what's going to happen. But um, to be completely honest, I never thought that they should get together. Um, I always thought that I enjoyed the back and forth, the the. The flirting, then the not flirting, then the the friendship that still had this little white air of teasing. You know, I, I enjoyed that, and right. um, I would have been perfectly content to see that continue right up until the last episode, and then them right. do something or whatever, but no. Um, another missing, uh, a person missing from this is um, Chief O'Brien. Where's Chief O'Brien? We see him... You know, once. in the like, yeah, once, but we don't get to, we don't get to see old O'Brien. So yeah. is is O'Brien dead in the future <laughs> timeline? You know, I mean, he was a bit older than um, uh, Dax and Bashir. 
right? And not. So, I mean, it's entirely possible that he could have died or he could have retired. I mean, considering it's the future and everybody apparently lives to be a bajillion years old, <laughs> I would just assume that he was alive but probably doing something else. He's probably heading up a research facility somewhere or teaching right. on Earth or something else, not not dead, but just for whatever reason wasn't available for um, this mission. Now, I know, you know, behind the scenes, I know that at the time, um, Cole Meany, who plays O'Brien, was um, filming a movie. And so he was ah. not available to do his scenes for this one. So gotcha. that's why he was not there. But gotcha. um, apparently well, that was a it? great sadness to the director because they had some funny stuff planned for old Bashir and old O'Brien. But, oh, um, man, yeah. you say that now and I suddenly go, oh, <laughs> man, if the old odd couple of uh, Dax and Bashir was funny, imagine the old couple, the old, the odd, the old odd couple of um, Bashir, Bashir and O'Brien. Yeah, would have been hilarious. Uh, but actually, it does bring up a question of like, I don't think it was O'Brien that was in the warp area when that explosion all happened. It was someone else that was. Oh, killed yeah, by the there explosion? was another. Yeah, there was another random yellow uniformed person. Yeah, there. Huh. Yeah, I mean, it was convenient this time around, but it also yeah. meant that Cisco had to save the day. Which also a great little point, you know, Cisco and Jake saved the day. We might remember that O'Brien had taught Jake a few things about engineering, mm-hmm. um, and so he when you know, he. Jake was not supposed to follow Ben into the warp core area to, to, to figure out what's going on. But when Ben sees that Jake is there, he doesn't yell at him, get out of here. He says, go find me this thing. He relies on his son to help him. Um, and that's part of what why they're successful, but also what in some ways causes all the events that happen in this episode. Um, so, yeah, it was uh, it was good. To, again, another example of I'm a disappointed father that you disobeyed me, but I, I trust that you can do what I told you or what, what I trust your knowledge and you can help me. Yes. Um, kind of moment. So, um, yeah. yeah. This is not the, this is also not the first time that Jake has disobeyed his father and put himself in harm's way. Uh, yeah. this seems to be his thing. Whenever things get a little too, little, little tense, Jake right. tends to want to, in particular, he tends to want to stay near his dad, which, I mean, I right. guess you can't really fault him for wanting to stay near his father, the person who has all of his life protected right. him and so forth. So, I mean, it's understandable, but at the same time, it's like, Jake, stay here. And then you turn around, and where's Jake? Uh, right behind you, like over his shoulders. Yeah. Like, didn't I just tell you to stay here? Um, you did, <laughs> but yeah. no, right? Yeah. Well, what's so funny is that the older Jake re- relaying the event says, normally I obeyed my father. Right, he <laughs> did say that. He absolutely did say that. Normally I obeyed my father. It's like, no, you don't. Um, I seem to remember someone crawling into a fiery Jeffrey's tube yeah. um, early on when you exactly. were like 13. So don't give me yeah. that you always obey your father, exactly. you liar. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely memory not. memory cells as you got older, did you? I guess all those uh, green flames had some fumes on them and killed some brain cells. You don't remember. <laughs> Absolutely uh, not. Goodness. Um, speaking of old characters, the uh, older Nog was, was fun to see. The Captain Nog. Mm-hmm. Um, man. Uh, I, so, again, I already knew that, well, in, in our timeline, Nog will go on to success. But um, it was fun to see him. He's a... He's a successful Federation officer, and he talks about his dad and, you know, Quark 
Quirk finally got that moon he was always complaining about, but his dad is helping to make sure it doesn't fall out of the sky. Like, yep, I'm sure that relationship hasn't changed one bit. Right, not at all. <laughs> it's still a very parasitic relationship. Um, and and Moore and has apparently brought the bar. Oh, yeah. well, I mean, yeah, exactly. Which one is the parasite in that scenario? <laughs> and Morn runs the bar, yeah. I love that little throw off, throwaway joke there too. Morn runs the bar. Oh, he must be talking everybody's ear off. Morn, yes. who infamously never speaks, we've never yes. heard him speak. So yeah, yes, of course. Exactly. <laughs> so we got a little bit to catch up with everybody. Well, except for yeah, I mean, like we don't hear anything about old O'Brien. Like we get a little update on everybody else, whether they're on screen or not. But we don't see. We also don't see Odo in this one either. And no consider- old Odo. Yep. I mean, we just don't or see Odo. frankly. Yeah, but I mean, we don't see them. We don't see, yeah, either of them, period. Yeah. So, like, we don't necessarily know where they are in that particular area of the timeline. But, right. I mean, I would just assume that, you know, especially once Cisco was missing, you know, Kira right. probably picked up his mantle a bit, leading the Bajoran the people, you know. And, yeah, that, that would make the most sense to me uh, mm-hmm. as to where she went. But, right. um, I. Just an interesting episode to talk about, in a weird way, the importance and impact of one man. Because while we are so supremely focused on the relationship of Jake and Ben, we hear all these other things of everybody else that happened around them because of the loss of Ben Sisko. You know, Julian and Jadzia are no longer, you know, working at Deep Space Nine. They've had to go elsewhere. They've taken other positions. Maybe they're married, maybe they're not. We don't know. What's happened to Odo and Kira? We're not really sure. She could have gone back to her Freedom Fighter days. Who knows? Odo could be with her. He could not. Um, O'Brien, no clue. You know, yeah. the station, the thing that, you know, as as Jake said in another part of the episode about how when they came to the station, it was, you know, a shell. And he turned, and then Ben came and turned it into something. It was a yeah. thriving hub of culture and life. And now... We hear once again, it's, you know, seen better days, as Nog says. It's, you know, the, the defiance in mothballs. They had to break it out of, you know, storage, basically, to get it on the mission. Right. So, yeah, just a lot of things that just show that, you know, the the Klingons have annexed the station and all this stuff. Would that have happened with Cisco there? I can confidently say no. There's <laughs> yes. no way Cisco would have given up Deep Space Nine to the Klingons. No yeah. way. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, a lot of things that we can see here that were affected because Cisco was not there to to lead, to be in right. command. Be honest, the, the the significant loss to his son seems to be a significant loss to everybody. Right, you know, everybody involved. So, uh, mm-hmm. a great episode for a kind of a what if scenario, and then yes. it gives it gives Ben this very unique perspective, not just for his son, but really for everybody else, for what little he gets to remember of everybody else from his time jumps, he can now kind of influence the future now that he's back in the present timeline and, and moving forward. So, um, interesting position for him to be in. I think that would be a, um, yeah, very unique thing to try to like figure out how do you, how do you maneuver? How do you guide people how do you guide your son now that you have seen what their life trajectory could be yeah. under a certain influence? Right. Yeah, that's a good question. Now, another thing that I found interesting here was that Jake, older Jake, lives in the Louisiana Bayou. Didn't see that coming. <laughs> 
Didn't see that coming. Now, we don't even get to see... Sis, even though Ben was from Louisiana, you didn't see that? No, I didn't anticipate that he would live back on Earth. I thought that he would stay somewhere relatively close. I mean, well, I guess considering that the Klingons annexed Bajor, he couldn't go... He is go... married to a Bajoran. Yeah. His wife is Bajoran. Yeah. yeah. But he couldn't go to Bajor now that the Klingons had annexed Bajor. So I right. guess, yeah, there's no other place for him to go um, but Earth... But, uh, yeah, be in the bayou of all places, which would be the center point of loss for him, in my opinion. Because, again, his father was from Louisiana. His grandfather's from Louisiana. They're both dead, for all intents and purposes here. So he's back kind of at ground zero for his family and has no family around. His mom was gone years before that, you know. So he's just been really on his own living in the... living in the bio in this very elaborate um, house. Now, for those of you who are interested, if you would like to see it, there is a uh, artist rendering of the house that uh, Jake owns in the bayou that you can go and look at. It's on uh, Memory Alpha. And um, I've looked at this picture several times. It's got to be the most ordinate, like classically styled home that doesn't make sense that I've ever seen. (laughs) Like, I think I kind of get it. Like, there was kind of this weird, uh, like, old-school Victorian meets Bajoran meets Cardassian look to it in certain areas. And so it's just like, on the one hand, I get it. And on the other hand, I don't. (laughs) So And then it's like, in the swamp. So it's like, how is it staying up? Like, it should have sank a long time ago. Unless, you know, know, 24th century technology has solve the problem of ground erosion as well but yeah but again all that to say it's a very ornate design i would still strongly suggest just to kind of give yourself that real world immersion go and take a look at it again you can find it on the memory alpha site um uh but yeah it's an interesting drawing to say the least but i just thought i'd just throw that out there if you just wanted to see kind of the scope of the house because in the episode we really only see like one maybe two rooms. I really don't think that we see more than that. Um, and uh, to to know that this house is huge. It's It's got wings. It's got stories. It's got a rotunda. It's got all these things, right? But we don't get to see really any of that um, in right. the episode, which is a shame. I, I would love some time for them to, like, kind of go into their sets a bit more. And give us just a little bit more of the scenery and setting the stage there. I mean, I understand, you know, time constraints, budgets, so forth and so on. But um, every so often, I feel like, you know, tr- treat your audience. Give us a little, give us a little something extra, you know. Instead of a old school matte painting like they used to do from the '60s, like give me, you know, <laughs> give me a, give me a set, build a that real set, set. For us. right, yeah. right. <laughs> give me a set, man. And now with, I mean, we've, we've, I feel like we've pretty much moved away from sets and television these days. Everything is oh. now like props green and CGI's, screen. oh. green screens. Yeah, and I mean, don't get me wrong, that technology is getting better and sometimes it's hard to tell, but it's only hard to tell at first. Once right. you watch it, like really like dial in your focus, you can see it. Like, right. um, quick reference, I was watching The Last of Us a couple of nights ago and, um, I was watching the second episode and they're, you know, going out into the city and everything is, you know, doomsday, dystopia, whatever. And at first you don't notice it, but then like, as you watch, 
you do start to, you know, see the the telltale signs, especially around the actors themselves, you know, when they're standing in right. certain positions and everything like that. You can see it. Um, in the 90s, it was absolute trash. You could always tell. But, it, right. again, technology's gotten better, but I just kind of wish that to a certain extent we would go back to sets and on location and giving us that kind of realism for immersion, you know? Yeah. But that's just me. Maybe I'm just nitpicking here. Well, no, I, I have to say that the green screening has got to the point where like, it's just bad. Like, I don't know. Maybe it's just some movies are bad, but like I saw a trailer for the new movie. It's called Citadel it has Priyanka Chopra and the one guy from uh, game of Thrones, whose name I can't remember right now. I remember seeing the trailer and just being like, the plot sounds ridiculous. <laughs> You know, two spy agents who had their memories removed, who were also lovers. Uh, wow. Anyway, but yeah, like, you lost me right there. Was, <laughs> yeah, it's like anyway, we've seen it before. But anyway, I just remember, like the green screen special effects in this trailer were just so bad. I was like, you know, a hundred, a, a ten years ago, like Avatar came out and stuff. Like they've proved that they can do really good stuff. And they've also proved that you can overdo it. You can just rely too heavily on it. I mean, part of the reason people love Star Wars, for example, I'm just—I know it's Star Trek's biggest enemy, but anyway, is I, the idea... I don't think so anymore. Okay. Well, anyway, people love the the like Yoda, the the Muppet, and like the old like R two D two was like a physical like robotic thing they moved around, and the one guy in the C three PO outfit, like it was all there it was all physically real and so when they did the new prequel uh sequel trilogy they had bb8 who actually was a real robot thing you know with a little head on it and they rolled it around and it was a real prop um yeah there's something lost amongst all the modern cgiing uh which is it's interesting you know like a lot of the fun scenes of last episode were the cgi space battles and that was great and part of me wants more of that um but it, we have lost things by going the other direction. Now we've overemphasized the CGI a lot of times. And, well, I think uh, that it works when, like you said, like CGI space battles, those work because we all know that that's what it was going to be, right? Right. There's, sure. not, there's not an attempt to fool us by putting a real thing into such a fake scenario. We know we don't have spaceships that can do that. So right. that works. Well, you but, can use miniatures sometimes to fake it, but anyway. Yeah, but at the same time, I mean, again, we know that that's – it's different than when, say, we're putting a, a person who is real and legitimate mm-hmm. here into right. that kind of, you know, scene or scape or whatever. We, we can always tell. Right. Um, it's one of the things, like, about, like, some of the newer treks, if I have to nitpick anything about them – that would be one of my critiques because a lot of the things that they did in the 90s were, um, you know, they built the full-on sets and props and had uh, film overlays for, like, the light-up of the consoles, right, and the buttons and whatever else that the person had to push to, you right. know, fire phasers or open a door or whatever it is. Now, a lot of that on the show is done by... Some of it is touchscreen, but a lot of it is CGI overlay. So it's like a person is just standing there, and they're kind of hitting randomly, and then they kind of come back in and, you know, magic it up, you know. Right. And um, 
I feel like on those scenes, you can kind of tell, right? Because it's like the fingers don't match up with the lights that are underneath it. And it's like, I understand that you couldn't get it right because you were doing an overlay here and you didn't have the exact thing and whatever. But it's just like in those moments, it detracts from the immersion that you just had leading up to that particular moment, at least for me, when I noticed that little thing. And um, knowing, for example, that they actually had it right in the 90s when they were doing, you know, Next Generation and, and Deep Space Nine and so forth. And then they went away from that for what I can only assume is some convenience. I don't know. But, um, but yeah, like, I just, I wish that we could strike the appropriate balance where we weren't so heavily relying on CGI for everything, for every scene, and that we really did get back to building the props, getting the stunts right, doing the doing the work, you know? Right. I feel like it would it would definitely pay off. Now when right. we were looking at things that are, you know, almost hundred percent CGI like like Avatar, like you mentioned, mm-hmm. again, that's that's gonna be difficult to do and it makes sense right. that it would rely so much on CGI and I'm fine with that. When right. that is the initial premise and setup. Right. Like kind of the whole point of Avatar is to highlight just how far we've come in this right. kind of technology. That's so, yeah. so, so, yeah, that makes sense to me, but not when you're trying to like pull the wool over my eyes. <laughs> yeah, don't, so. don't like. Yeah, there are times when like knowing that it's CGI is okay. Like Avatar, it's you know it's CGI. But the idea is that it's so good that you can get immersed in it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there are times when it's like. Oh yeah, this is definitely a person jumping out of plane. And it's like, no, it's not. It's right. obviously not a person because it you can't you can just tell. <laughs> that stunt is that's why I love Tom Cruise in the Mission Impossible movies. He's always like, I'm gonna do the real stunt myself. I'm gonna be on screen, and you can it's know true. it's there's, me. And there's something yeah. to be said for that, you know. Like again, I mean, I, I know they still use a, a bit of CGI for some of the stuff that he does, you know. But the simple fact that he does do so many of the stunts himself yes. um it really does help with his movies and it it helps with the fluidity of the scene you don't have to worry about weird cuts or anything like that to explain why suddenly he looks a lot smoother than normal oh because that's not really him it's a cgi yeah. composite of tom cruise right. you know like that it does stand out or why the he's suddenly CGI running they do so is weird to take the, the the safety harness out of the scene right yeah. they digitally remove the the hook line from the back of him or whatever yeah. and, I'm, and I'm fine with that because it's yes. still him hanging onto the side of the plane you yeah. know yeah that's exactly the scene I was thinking of that's exactly yeah. the one yeah he still so, jumped he still jumped off that building and broke his foot but he still finished the scene like oh my gosh that man's a like, legend um, in his own right <laughs> um uh, the best one to do has got to be uh Jackie Chan of course he yeah. did all of his own stunts. Some of right. them he did without any kind of safety equipment, period. Forget harness, yes. just no safety equipment. Just, no, I can make the jump, and then he jumps. Right. And you're like, holy crap, did this man really just jump? Yeah, he did. Yeah. Did you get it? Because I don't think we can ask him to do it again. Right. You know, that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, Jackie Chan was definitely, um, it came to play when it came right. to doing his movies. And, yeah. um Maybe that's why we haven't seen him in anything for a while. He's too beat up. <laughs> well, that reminds me, we forgot to talk about at the beginning. And I, this is a, this this definitely a non sequitur, of course. Uh, but 
You and I went and saw John Wick 4 last Sunday. Yes. Yes, we did. <laughs> Donnie Yin, who is another Chinese actor, you know, martial art actor, who does his own stunts, or at least most of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but sure, he does, like, all of them. But anyway, uh, yeah. Donnie, Donnie Yin was killing it as Kane, the, the yes, other the assassin. Blind, yes, the blind assassin. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah. um, talk about another movie that also, you know, kind of uses a lot of CGI for for their things. Like, you know, a lot of the transitions and on the on location stuff. They weren't really on location. That was all, you know, blue and green screens. You know, yeah. and um, the horseback riding, the all that stuff. Some of it, they're just in a giant sand pit, guys. The rest of that yeah. is all you know, CGI. <laughs> so, and I mean, I get it. Can we fly Keanu Reeves all the way to Saudi Arabia? I mean, you could. Yeah. Yeah. But your budget's gonna balloon to do it. So <laughs> can we really get a shot of the Eiffel Tower in the morning with uh, nobody from... on it, no yeah. tourists around? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's got to be a nightmare anyway when you're filming on location for some of those things. <clears throat> but yeah, I would I would imagine um, a lot of these movies, especially as great as John Wick was, you can't tell me that there was just not a lot of CGI. Yes, in that movie. Yeah, so. I mean, at the very least, uh, it's, we're, I don't think any either of us are going to insinuate that the fight scenes were themselves that way. But yeah, no. the like backgrounds, yeah, definitely hundred <laughs> yeah. percent. It was a, it was a great, entertaining movie. You know, yeah. I'm not going to say that it's up there with you know um, Citizen Kane or anything like that. But I mean. It was it was great for what Super it was. Long, it, almost yeah. three hours. Surprisingly I long. I I have to admit it was longer than I thought it was going to be. That is that is true. Right. I did, we were I supposed to start got... at five thirty, and we got out at what, like nine o'clock. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And I I never in the movie got to the point where I was like, I'm getting bored. It's so long. It was more like. Dear God, how can he survive this long? <laughs> that was yeah, I mean, that was, that was really, that was my question a lot of the times, too. It's like, why is he still alive? Like, <laughs> the amount of broken bones and blood loss, he should have died two hours ago. Yes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, uh, I will, the, the critique I have for the movie more than anything else is that the first one really, you really feel it's like a small, intimate, realistic film, and they've ballooned upward into the more fantastic and sometimes yeah. that's fun, but it also makes you like kind of respect what the first movie did. You know, the first movie it, really did do something special. Everything like, else has um, come from that. Kind of like those Fast and the Furious uh, travesties <laughs> that are still in existence. Does anyone even remember what the first one was about? Like, does like legitimately, if you were to sit right now and realize that there's like twelve of those movies. Do you remember what the first one was about? Like, why did they? I can tell you they... the general plot only because I I study I like watching movies and like remembering what the plot. Like, well, I will tell it's... you before before David says anything. I will say right now. Right. I saw the first one in theaters opening week. I have a great <laughs> I have a great memory, and I cannot for the life of me tell you what that movie was about. If you were to sit here right now and demand I recount what the first one was about. I got nothing. I know that Paul Walker was in it. I know that he was a cop who went undercover for some reason. That's I it. Don't, yeah, that's it. I don't that's know, it. but I don't know why he went undercover. I don't know why Vin Diesel was involved in that. Um, I got well, nothing. They thought they thought Vin Diesel was like a drug runner or something, which I think he like maybe sort of was, but there was some reason why he's still a good guy. I don't. Again, if you're asking me for the details, wasn't beyond his that, character? I don't remember. Was his character Triple X? 
He no no no. The actor is triple X, but not him himself. Not not okay. So for Vin some reason, Diesel is triple X, but yeah, not the character. Yeah, for yeah, some yeah. reason, I connected those two well, movies together. Like for because because Don Toretto has turned into triple X by this point. Oh, he now basically is triple X in terms of all the stunts he all the the crazy things he can get away with. By the way, didn't we see a, a trailer for number ten while we were at the theater? Of the of the Fast and Furious, Fast and Furious. Yeah. yeah. There's yeah. another one. They and again, the first one came out when I was in high school. They're still making these movies, and I turned 37 just last month. So yeah. le- I'm just letting you know this has been a long years. time. Yeah, long time for these movies. It's so and, funny, uh, it's like, ridiculous. The, Vin Diesel is a seems like a fun guy, but it's like. He's he's this is this is his career. He's just Fast and Furious. Oh yeah, this is occasionally this is his a X, occasionally yeah. a Riddick. Um, this he is plays his grindhouse. He's gonna do these movies until he literally physically can't. Yeah, when when he just absolutely can't. And I yeah. I love all the jokes I see about it being about family or whatever. I again I couldn't tell you what especially I I got lucky by recounting number one there just a little bit. The yeah. rest of them. I don't think I ever saw any of the rest of them. I don't remember. Any of them? <laughs> I, I remember there being one where they were in Tokyo. Well, yeah, Tokyo Drift, I think it was the third one. But that didn't have is, them in it. That just had... It uh, didn't. That's right. Because the second one has um, Ter- Tyrese in it, right? It doesn't even have Vin Diesel. Uh, he's out. It's it's uh, Tyrese. And then the third one was Tokyo Drift. But they had a cameo from Vin Diesel at the end, and then the fourth one is the one that got started all of the nonsense that we've seen since. Uh, well, I, I haven't seen it. It's, so. it's the fourth one that really makes at what they point jump the does, shark, if you will. At what point does um, the Rock join? Where is he? Uh, I think number five. He was in there for like okay. five through seven, but then he and Vin Diesel had some sort of big falling so out. So I, I knew that, and... I knew that, but I did not know like what happened. I so saw they didn't like each other. So I was like, uh, okay. Apparently, apparently Vin Diesel's lazy or something. I mean, like when you're the Rock and you like you literally eat like a you know a whole you know two dozen eggs every morning and you've got to have a protein shake every five minutes. I mean, maybe you need to be on schedule. But I was like, Vin Diesel's the face of the franchise, Rock. Like, let's not push I mean, too many buttons there. <laughs> and know. then, and then, isn't Jason Statham in these two? He was, or he is too. I think he's in the new one too. And then, uh, didn't those characters did have their own spinoff? Yes, of their, the I was Rock say, so that, and Jason Statham had a spinoff one. So yes, these I saw movies, it. these movies have single-handedly given us a whole action franchise, not just. Not just the Fast and the Furious, but now we've yeah. got whatever the hell those spinoffs were with The Rock and um, Jason Statham. Right. And then we've got the Triple X movies, wherever they are, the Chronicles of Riddick. And then I'm going to give them credit for all of the Expendables because it's like everybody decided they were just going to you know, dust themselves off and get up out of the nursing home and go do another action movie one more time. But then it was like, one more time again, right. again. Again, yeah. they just kept Dude. doing it, wrapped, ranching it up. How how far can we go in the ridiculousness of these guys who are in their 70s have still got it? Yes. Well, just to give you a perspective of how successful Fast and Furious is as a, as a brand uh, worldwide, they are more successful than the DC Universe and only less successful than Batman. 
So somewhere between Batman as a as a standalone character and the Batman movies and well, DC as a recent franchise, that's where Fast and Furious falls. <laughs> there are more fra- there are more Fast and Furious wow. movies than there are Star wow. Wars movies. <laughs> Well, yeah, I believe that. I mean, just the whole industry. Yeah, a whole industry devoted to this nonsense. And, I mean, maybe that's what I'll do. I mean, I have this weird fascination with going back and watching things at a certain point anyway. Maybe that's what I'll do. I'll just sit down one day and be like, that's it. I'm committed. I'm going to watch every Fast and Furious movie from the first one to the last one. Just lock in and see if I can understand why these things keep getting made. Because... I just don't see it. Like, after the first one, I was done. And I was 14. So, yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, they keep upping the ante in terms of ridiculous stunts they pull. So, that's why people see them. So, I mean, they've literally I guess, I mean, how, how many times can you see... What uh, for them to do is going to space. Go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, how many times can you see a hot rod jump over a tank or something? Whatever it is they're doing in the... <laughs> In the movie, you know? How many times is that yeah. impressive to you? Right. Man, they must piss Michael Bay off something furious when, <laughs> <laughs> when they do these, do these movies. Yeah, exactly. Well, to return us now from that segue on CGI back to our episode, um, before we close everything out, there is one little shout-out that I wanted to give, and that is to Rachel Robinson. Rachel Robinson played Melanie, the um, the woman who came to older Ben Sisko to hear his tale and to receive a copy of his final work at the end. Um, okay. But um, she is notable not just for playing Melody, but for, for or playing Melanie, but also she is the daughter of Andrew Robinson, who plays none other than plain and simple Garrick. So that's his kid. Oh, that's his really? daughter. Yes. Nice. nice. So. Well, I also just want to say uh, I was just reading here on Wikipedia before we started tonight that apparently this was the first episode written by Michael Taylor, who, according to Wikipedia, is going to be with us throughout the rest of Deep Space Nine. Um, and so, like, this is a big, you know, he really jumped, you know, started off well on, on a high note, basically. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't know if there's anything to say more about him or if you have anything to add there, but uh, I don't know. Well, not just yet. We're gonna, we're like you said, we're gonna come back to him in several other episodes. While this is a great one for him, um, I think that there's some other things later on that, especially that are more related to the overarching story of Deep Space Nine, that will be, uh, that will be better. So we'll yeah. kind of save that for then, and we'll just kind of remember that hey, this is where he cut his teeth was with this episode, which is a great episode. So he already knew. We had good things in store. If he was doing work like this his first time out, you can only imagine what we're going to see when he enters into collaboration with the likes of uh, Rene Echevarria and Ronald Moore and uh, so forth. So we'll get there. Um, now, before we close it out, do want to give a quick update about um, Star Trek Picard because I love it. It is doing so well. And uh, we've now seen the seventh episode. Only three left in the final season of this great, you know, continuation of the next generation. Um, and, and for only for there being only three episodes left, there is still a lot that we do not know about the, the end game here. And I'm kind of getting nervous because I'm like, I, I want it to end well. I don't want them to shoehorn in a crap ending to say like, oh, we did it, right? I want it 
They've done such a great job with the story. So please don't drop the ball here in the end game. Go out high, man. Just just bring it home. Please. Um, I also want to say it's still not too late for the contest that we have going on. You will have to watch that uh, our season four opener um, episode. You can watch it on YouTube. You can listen to it anywhere you listen to podcasts. I happen to do it on Spotify. And you can um, figure out how to enter. Do so. We'll tabulate all the results whenever we get to the tabulation part. And then we'll be reaching out to the winner to get them their mug accordingly. So uh, go do that before it's too late. Because, I mean, again... It's completely free. You don't have to do anything other than listen to the episode. Give us a little bit of your time, and you could potentially win a 100% free book. We're even covering your shipping. So just do it. Yeah. Just do it. All right? <laughs> All right. So, um, David, final thoughts before we close out The Visitor. Nope. Great episode. Um, yeah. I, In fact... I mean, it's like we didn't even say as much as we did like on like there there are times when we have bad episodes where we do more to talk about a bad episode <laughs> this one is so good it's just like you don't have to say anything it's just like that was good that was great this is fantastic this is a great episode i'm gonna agree and i'm just gonna leave it there so guys until uh next week take care of yourselves thanks guys